Well, I am in Penryn right now and decided to go ahead and turn on the recording, even though I've thought about it a couple times today. I've had a pretty um, interesting morning today. I don't even know if interesting is quite the right thing, but I um, decided to head out for a little bit, so I headed over to Lake Folsom, and I wasn't sure as many times exactly where I wanted to go today, but as I got closer and drove over the dam, I thought that many times I've driven past Brown's Ravine, but never stopped at it, and I thought today might be a good time to do that. So I pulled into Brown's Ravine, and it's a campground that years ago um, we um, took the kids there um, when I was still married and before Gwen was born. We had a family reunion in Folsom that year, so we had actually come up from Southern California and camped at um, that same place at Lake Folsom. And in all those years, I had never been back. And there were even a couple times I had kind of thought to myself, well, maybe I have been back and I just don't remember it. And as I pulled in, I realized that, nope, I absolutely had not been back. Very little of it looked familiar to me except for the fact that it was Lake Folsom and I hike around there all the time. That part looked familiar. The mountains, the hills, the, the blue water all looked very familiar. But um, I hadn't, in fact, been back in all, the, in all those years. So I pulled into the day-use area, which is a really large parking lot that indeed is located on a point, although there are probably about a million points (laughs) at any one uh, part of the lake. But this was actually an interesting area because it looked like at some point, maybe during the 70s, by the um, architecture there, it had been built up into a kind of a recreational area so there was a ton of parking and all the way around the parking lot was a grass area with a bike path with sometimes some more grass area picnic tables covered picnic tables and that all led to the lake and on the right hand side as you're going in oh sorry on the left hand side as you're going in there's an actual beach with sand and the the whole um, kit and caboodle as it were so that was a pretty big surprise for me going in there that vantage point of the lake for a couple of reasons one the level that it sits at it was quite high compared to other places I've accessed the lake. So immediately you're looking at the top of the lake, but you're also, because it's a completely dammed area, damn those dams, but because it's a completely dammed area, you're also looking over the edge of something. So it's like kind of looking over the, over the edge of a cliff almost. So the, you could see the blue of the water and it's super high right now, almost level to the top of the dam itself. It's been full for, for quite a while. And so the level of the the lake with the blue water with the little waves cresting all over it and it seems so sparkly that was the other thing that like struck me was like it's super sparkly but then you also see the gray walls of the dam that are kind of flat on top there um, a lot of them kind of peek up into a pyramid with a, a walkway along the top of it 
So you notice that and then that kind of empty space. So you've got that the parking lot with the grass and the picnic tables, the beautiful blue of the water just beyond it, and then these gray walls behind that, and then this kind of empty blue space where it just almost looks like kind of like unnatural that water should just like stop up here in the air but that's the um, joy of a dam right it's not really natural but it does create an interesting space and as I said at a certain point that all of that was was developed so I was kind of surprised that this entrance to the lake that I had driven by so many times that I kind of discounted in my mind as even being worth investigating um, turned out to be an actual nice place and as soon as I say that I discounted investigating it reminded me that there actually was a time that I turned in there but at the time I did not have the park pass so it turned out to be I didn't want to pay that much money for day use area but as soon as I went in there, I thought, you know, actually, this is a really nice place. It's close enough to um, to be able to drive over there for the day. And perhaps, you know, Gwen and I could spend the day outside in this um, nice area without it being, uh, you know, big additional cost. And it's a little bit nicer than even the swimming pools because you're actually out in the blue sky and the water. The other thing that um, that I liked about it is that it, it's got a lot of mature trees. So that really gave it a lot of shade all over the place because that is the problem with over at Lake Natoma is that, or Natomas, like we never decided which one that was, that it's just so, like the distance between the shade and the edge of the water, it's too far to be able to say like, okay, I'm gonna set up in the shade, but you know, the kids can go out and play in the water. It's just too far away. So this was nice because there um, were quite a few covered picnic areas, as well as a lot of mature trees. That some of them didn't look too healthy over the years, I'm sure because of um, droughts off and on. But overall, it was really actually kind of nice. And like I said, there was also this now defunct um, recreation area that's built out of those those brown, um, I want to say like slough blocks. Remember, those were really popular for a while and were used to build a, a lot of... Um, park buildings or you know just like those inexpensive public spaces because they were just these big enormous blocks and they would kind of slap these buildings together and then to again be as cheap and tap tacky and ugly as you possibly can to make it look like you're doing something without really doing something instead of building like a portico or a nice covered space they use these really inexpensive wood slats and kind of would build a quote-unquote covered area but that never really lasted at all and because of the cheap material and its you know ability to warp and not hold paint very well and on top of that because even though they built a lot of these things they were almost just as quickly not funded and been able to even be kept in repair so you have this area now that exists it's got maybe three or four lifeguard stations it's got a changing room and bathroom areas um, what could have been like you know food service and you know covered patio area is all still there the bathrooms were actually open and functioning but it's all just really extremely dilapidated and they are not paying for actual lifeguards even though the stations are there they do hang um, life jackets 
onto the lifeguard station so it is something but it's a it's a nice beach area because it's got a you know a shallow entry and like I said lots of shade so and a beautiful beautiful magnificent views of the Nevada Mount Sierra Nevada mountains and there's there's snowy peaks which um were are done today it which is interesting because it's a it's a perfectly clear blue sky if you look up above you you know you just see blue there's no clouds at all but as I'm sure I've said before that the view of the Sierra Mountains is always kind of telltale to what's going on in the lower atmosphere and they were just barely visible um, if if I wasn't looking for them I wouldn't have noticed them at all but I could see back beyond the the rolling foothills of um, Granite Bay, El Dorado Hills, Auburn, all of this area over here, Folsom, um, that if, um, oh, I wouldn't have been able to see those mountains at all. Boy, all I did was decide to drive again, and I instantly lost my train of thought. So I was getting a little bit hungry and did decide to um, push off of there, um, and stop. I was going to go to the gas station and get a beef burger, but that didn't work out so well. It was super crowded there, so I decided to just go over at Rayleigh's and get a sandwich, which was completely awful. It was $6 for a roast beef that, you know, it just looks so pretty. Like, you know, like roast beef can look really beautiful sometimes. But unfortunately, like, biting into it was like biting into plastic and trying to... It was tasteless. It, I mean, it, it might as well have been plastic because there was nothing about it that indicated that it could have possibly been actual beef. It didn't have the taste. It didn't have the texture. So I kind of gnawed around at it for a little bit. I did actually eat it, but I wasn't that impressed. So since I was already back in the car... I'm kind of in this, I, the last two days have been super, super rough, and I'm feeling a little bit better today, but there's a real part of me that wants to get out of the apartment buildings, and as always, I grapple with this, you know, they say you can't be happy where you are, but what if I'm not happy and what if nobody is likely to do anything to help make me happier like aren't I better like uh, it's always been <laughs> it's always been the catch 22 if I'm not happy what am I supposed to do or not do to be able to facilitate that happiness there and the only thing that ever brings me any sort of solace is doing exactly what I'm doing right now is getting out getting on the road being able to see the 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 lake at one point I saw a little lizard scampering around the the rocks on the lake so I um, decided to Oh, no, actually, the first thing that wasn't the lizard that, that brought me down there it was the geese. There was a lot of geese, like really, really big flocks of geese. Not the usually like 20 or so that I'm used to seeing uh, local lakes or when we go on there. But this, this looked a lot closer to like, you know, there's probably more than 100 geese on the lake. But the thing that fascinated me was kind of that they... The geese were in a row as they were coming down the side of the lake, and that kind of just made me laugh. This, this like single file line of of geese coming along the lake. So I decided to walk a little bit closer to the lake, and as I walked by, there was a gentleman who was sitting on the table. I want to say with his guitar. Yeah, it was pr probably most likely a guitar. I almost want to say like ukulele, but it didn't quite have a the ukulele twang to it. It wasn't a banjo or anything like that. But he was just sitting there playing this music that actually was really lovely. And 
Um, so I kind of used all of those things that there looked like there was an easy access to get a little bit closer to the water, to see the geese, to listen a little bit to the music. And as I got close to the rocks, there were some lizards there. So I often think little lizzies are probably my um, totem animal. They always seem to be going somewhere, doing something. But no, they live on one rock all the time. I don't know. I like lizzies. I've always taken my little lizzies traveling. At a certain point um, when we were uh, um, traveling with the, the kids, we would, they'd always want to put money in those gumball machines that had toys in them. And for quite a while, one of the things we would always get in those are little plastic lizards. So those plastic lizards became our little travel companions, and I'd always just set them up on the dashboard. So as I drive around, they kind of slide all over the place and rearrange themselves, but always we'd... Uh, you know, line those little Lizzie's up on the dashboard. So those were our, that's one of my affinities to lizards or those little plastic lizards that travel around with us so much. And I actually have no Lizzie's in my car at the current time. That kind of makes me feel a little sad. I don't think I realized that I didn't have any Lizzie's with me at all. So I, um, when I saw those little lizards down by the lake, it literally makes me think of every single time that I've ever seen a lizard from, you know, way back when I was a child and we used to chase lizards around in our backyard or up in the rocks of Chatsworth and often we would catch them. They aren't that impossible to catch and you know rub their little bellies and we the lizards I remember the most I think are the small ones and we call them blue bellies and I don't know if they're a different type of lizard or if you know you just look at them underneath and they happen to look blue and as opposed to the one that Gwen caught the other day which was a um we call those alligator lizards because they're just a lot bigger. But for all I know, seriously, there could be just one type of lizard on the planet. And I don't, you know, I don't know the difference. But another couple things that I really remember about lizards is one time when I was hiking oh, just out of Los Angeles, I think it was in Angeles National Forest, and we were cutting down to the river, um, and where it was exactly, I don't know. I want to say like just north of Valencia there somewhere back when there wasn't much back there. But I remember walking down the trail and there was a two-tailed lizard. And that one always stayed with me was that those the two tails on that lizard. I was so fascinated with it and that I wanted to keep. I wanted to have that again. I guess I've always had the... Uh, fascination or affinity for things that are different or unusual, which is probably why I enjoyed the reptile gardens in South Dakota so much. We went there three times when we were there because I just, I really enjoyed that place so much. We just went twice. I think we went um, the first time and really enjoyed it. And then they said something about bringing the children back to let the new employees were wanting to train give the children a ride and they offered to let us come back for free and let my kids ride the the ponies there and it, that was really fun it was fun and it was weird because we did show up again which I was happy to because like I said I really enjoyed reptile gardens in South Dakota if you've never been and you're close to it, or it's going to be on your way somewhere, definitely go. Because what it really is, rather than just uh, reptile gardens, is kind of a collection of weird and unusual animals, along with the fact that they do have reptiles. And the favorite part of the, my favorite part of reptile gardens is in the center of it is an open area where they have 
trees and bushes and things like that. And I think the majority of them are not real, but they have the snakes hanging like over the walkways, like on a, on a fake branch that I'm guessing that they can't move from or escape from. I I would think occasionally some of them must drop off, but I think in general, snakes don't just like to drop. That's not their preferred method of going somewhere. So maybe they just, you know, feed them and know that they're going to be kind of docile and stick them up there. But that to me is absolutely fascinating. Like that's, that's a little heaven to me is being able to walk around and look up and see snakes hanging from the tree uh, above me. I mean, there you go. What can get better in life than that? I do love snakes and any opportunity to um, get to interact with them or see them either out in the wild or even a lot of time in zoos, which I kind of feel sad for them, but at least you get to see them and sometimes pet them. So that was a really fun thing about reptile gardens. Also, the um, they had an albino, um, and did they have a two-headed snake there? I would have to check on that. There was something else. There were a couple like weird things that I don't see. I have such an affinity for the snakes hanging from the trees. Like that made the biggest impression. And those uh, hissing cockroaches. Oh, and the kookaburra birds. Oh my gosh. That was another thing. Those were, oh my gosh, you've got to go hear the kookaburra birds. I did learn to do the kookaburra call after that one because. They were so neat the way that they kind of like start off like slow and get louder and louder and louder until they're just like so loud they're unbelievable. And the sound that the kookaburra birds make a lot of people in, you know, movies and things like that and back in my day anyway were all kind of mistaken for like monkeys chattering or something. But it was actually the call of the kookaburra birds. So that was a really neat thing. Okay. And it wasn't going on about talking about reptile gardens. I was talking about lizards and different places that I've seen them. But of course, now that I've pulled myself back to the lizard topic, I probably am not thinking of a single other um, lizard story. Okay, except for this one. And I don't know if this is a lizard story, but I have a memory of my brother. Oh, now there's a really good question. Um, so, oh my gosh, I'm like completely going like, is this a memory? Is this a story? Is this some, something that somebody told me? And I remember saying to him, I remember this happened. But anyway, I think my brother and his friends got in trouble for catching lizards and blowing them up with firecrackers. So when I heard this story, I was kind of like, oh, that sounds like something my brother would do, but oh gosh, that's mean. Like who would do that to lizards? But we also, um, when we were kids, like we had access to firecrackers. We could easily buy them at 4th of July and we could get like, they were little packs that held like 20 firecrackers that were kind of like braided together in a, um, so they were like in a, almost like a battery pack, like an, you know, if you buy like a 24 pack of batteries, how they're kind of like all stacked together. Well, it was actually, I shouldn't say all stacked together. There were two rows of probably about 10 firecrackers. And then yeah, they were together in a, in a little, um, two layers and their, um, fuses were twined together. So what you could actually do was you could like one at a time, like cut the firecrackers off or disengage it from the pack. I was just a kid. These are just the things I remember. So whether I'm right or not, I don't know. But so you could like take them off one at a time and kind of blow them up, which I totally remember doing that with my brother, like walking down to the end of the cul-de-sac where we had a, a, say a storage drain, a storm drain, which was a common thing in the neighborhoods where I was growing up, like you had where the water runoff went under the ground and, you know, was whisked off to wherever. We'd have these openings every once in a while to let the rainwater in. So we 
took lit firecrackers and threw them down inside of there. Perry, that was one of our, our neighbor's name, who um, Eric, Perry, and David were a couple of the boys that were my brother's friends. That I kind of remember, like, you know, doing these things with them or being around them. But as I said, firecrackers were probably a part of our growing up. And I remember also that there were different sizes. And, like, the biggest they got up to were the M80s, which, you know, they were sizable little. I always heard somebody say, like, oh, like it was a quarter stick of dynamite or an eighth stick of dynamite whether it was or not I have no clue but those things gave off a kick and let me tell you those little teeny tiny firecrackers they gave off uh, a charge enough itself that it made them not only just fun to light off but also like dramatic like I said we'd throw them in the storm drains to get the you know bigger echo or boom out of them but it was definitely like we were on the hunt to look for things to kind of, you know, kind of blow up with these things because we actually had the the firepower in our hand and it seemed like it was fine with everybody that, that we did stuff like that. So um, when I heard that my brother blew up a lizard... I was kind of like, oh yeah, he did it. Like it was just a thing. And I can't remember how it like all went down. I can't even remember how old we were. Like it was something that happened when we were six or something that happened when we were 12. I certainly don't know the difference. I don't know if it was with his friend Kelly, um, you know, back from when we were really young or like I said, Perry and David when we were older or some of his friends. I don't know where the story came from at all. Boy Scouts. I just remember hearing it and thinking like, oh yeah, that makes sense because we would catch lizards. In fact, I'm sure I've caught lizards with me and my brother in our backyard in Arlita and and, um, Chatsworth. I mean, they were common. They were pretty easy to find. And, you know, at one point we had lizards in the house in an aquarium and we would get mealworms. Oh my gosh, we would buy those little tubs filled with sawdust with mealworms in them and we used to feed those to the lizards that we kept in captivity in our well I think they were my brother's bedroom I don't remember having any in my bedroom but I remember having them in his bedroom so when he got in trouble or I heard about him blowing up the lizard I was just like okay like that's a thing and it happened but I remember later my brother telling me like no that's not a thing and it didn't happen like I would never do anything like that and that kind of like surprised me more I was kind of like huh like okay like you know I could see that it's like something that would like happen like maybe with peer pressure from your friends and that you'd feel bad about it but I can't see it as being like off the charts of something that like just a regular boy would do but for some reason it really upset him even when I told him so Sorry, brother, if I, you know, you're a nice guy and I have never seen you physically hurt anybody or anything. So I am, you know, I don't know if that's um, something that happened or not. I guess some other time in my life I'll have to find out. But the only few things that I ever heard about my brother uh, doing that seemed plausible, but, you know, less than strictly upstanding, uh, he denied those as well so if that's the case if my brother didn't even uh you know he didn't inhale and he didn't blow up the lizard then I don't think that my brother's ever done anything wrong and it's not surprising that he can't relate to my life which I don't think I ever um had a chance to ever do anything right because it seemed like it got spoiled from such a young age that I've um, never been real sure how to recover from that or what recovery even looks like. I think the only thing that I always tell myself when I talk about, you know, wanting to be okay from all the trauma I've dealt with in my life is that that I don't want to feel crazy and... The biggest thing that I've really 
come to realize is that I have moments where I feel crazy, that I'm either triggered into a state that is so overwhelming that I can't deal with it, or it comes as part of a cycle as, um, you know, a normal, I want to say like menstrual cycle, that there's some days where the chemical imbalance is so um, horrible um, that all I can think about are all the bad things that have ever happened in my life and nothing that's happening in that very moment seems better and I very much want to stop li- living this I, it's almost like a groundhog's day you know I I want to I want to get out of a cycle that I don't I don't see any chance of getting out of um and this last time around my um you know my youngest daughter I said what are the words like you know I can say like she's giving me something that I feel like I've always needed is someone to almost just hold space for me like not put pressure on me to stop not insist that I have to change not blame me or get mad at me like just hold space for me and be okay with it. Like she'll check in me with like, are you doing okay? Is there anything you need? Okay, I'll give you your space. And that's it. You know, she doesn't make me feel guilty. And even when I fall apart and cry and say that I feel guilty, she, um, you know, she's like, but it's okay. It's, you know, you don't have to feel guilty and it's okay. And I think that if there's one thing that I want to, like, pin down in my moments of not feeling like that, you know, I almost lost the thought. I really had to pull it back. is that I do think that as I go through a rough time and somebody, even though I don't want to demean Gwen in any way by saying, oh, it's just Gwen, because it's not a little thing that she's doing. It's a huge thing that she's doing. I say just Gwen because she's young and I feel an incredible amount of guilt that I'm even asking her to help me be okay when I don't feel okay but I think somehow in my ability to share honestly with her about what I'm going through while reassuring her that I'm going to be okay and us like talking about it and you know kind of working through and then I like I almost feel like I can give the same thing to her like she can have the times where she's really struggling and really falling apart and really being a mess and I can say like oh that's all right for today we'll we'll you know, we're not going to do anything or we'll scale back or we'll just, you know, relax or, you know, whatever. We don't have to do anything. Oh, you just want to go in your room. That's fine. And I still react to her a lot of times with uh, resentment and anger. Um, And I think sometimes it almost triggers me into um, a darker moment. Like that loneliness like okay like oh I thought you were going to be here for me but now you're falling apart so now you're not here for me I still think in some ways she's better at overall like 
handling my meltdowns than I am handling hers. But each time, even if it's like 1% better, like I do honestly believe, and that's the point that I want to hold down, is that it is getting better. And a huge amount of it is based on me honestly communicating with her, not blaming her, not yelling at her, not making things her fault, but honestly communicating about what's going on with me. Like, I just want to be left alone. I just need some time. And waiting until I'm at a better place and being able to recommunicate all of that again. But um, as I'm sitting here telling all this story, what is this, my lizard story? It's been a tough thing to deal with. 50 years I've been going through this cycle of wanting to believe that I can be okay and just falling, falling, falling into being not okay and wanting somebody desperately to be there in my life who can hold me through it and feeling an incredible amount of guilt that I'm asking one of my children to do it. But I appreciate it. And I try to use moments like today when I'm feeling better to be a little bit more open to other people and situations where I might be able to establish some friends or, you know, have some relationship outside of um, just the two of us. And as soon as I say that, it's that um, that reality that I haven't been able to do it. Al-Anon, which is one place that I've really felt like I wanted to have that capacity for openness and conversation. That I find like so much of it is just, you know, religious dogma disguised as Al-Anon wisdom that I not only completely disagree with, but it's incredibly triggering, as it was as as I was a child. This whole, I don't even know if I want to go on my religious diatribe, but the, you know, that whole thought and belief that women don't have a place in this, you know, some people picked one story. There's a bazillion of stories, a bazillion And everybody's picked this one story that's not even a good story that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, it's the diatribe that's spouted over and over and over again. And it drives me crazy. Literally and figuratively, it drives me crazy. And it's almost like I cannot even find a way to have conversation without people that, you know, within five seconds can't fall back on some meaningless um, religious diatribe. I mean, it's not even based on anything that's helpful or true. It just drives me. It drives me into the, I mean, that's why I feel so isolated. It's like, can't people really be honest about what's going on with them without them having to hold on to some other life draft that doesn't make sense. If it made sense, I would understand it, but it doesn't. Like the Al-Anon sense, the Al-Anon stuff doesn't make any more sense than the religious stuff does because it's all based on these same problems with um, religion. So I just don't know if I can keep going. I just don't. There's... You know, maybe 5% of me gets a point where I hear people speak honestly. And at those moments, I go, okay, this is really nice. It's really worth it. But I swear to God, the rest of the, the, rest of the time, it's something else. 
So I kind of want to stop on this rant. I feel like maybe that's what I did at the last of my last one, and I don't, I don't. It's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating because although I can, I feel like I've done and am doing the hard work at getting myself higher and higher at a better spiral, you know, moving things upward, I still run into this same stumbling block, which is that I can't do it by myself. I have to have somebody outside of my own head showing me that the things I've experienced aren't the only reality. And even though I have the wisdom to know it's important, I'm not able to find it. I'm just not able to find it. And so when I start to feel myself feeling more down or depressed or feeling blue or struggling or whatever words people want to put to and falling into my victimhood was another word that I got to hear the other night. I'm just acting a victim. You know, I would like to trust that I can call somebody but until I've had the chance to build up a relationship with somebody that I can get through little things with, there's no way I'm going to trust someone with the big stuff. And that, um, that leaves me alone. Alone and looking for lizards. There was a moment today when I was at Lake Folsom and sitting there listening to that guy play his guitar that I... When I walked back up from the lake, I looked over at him and he looked a little bit familiar to me, but in a way that I wasn't 100% familiar. Like I, like I may have seen him before, but I'm not sure when or where. There... Um, for a moment, he actually almost looked like, um, I want to be able to think of her name <laughs> rather than just guess it. The girl from my preschool who, um, passed away and left two children and she had a, she had an amazing husband. He was a really neat guy and you could tell that they were both very into each other um, there, um, he, he looked like, he looked like him, that's who the, the guy looked like, I can't remember, oh, Petra, um, or Pietra, Petra, I don't remember her husband's name, but, so I had that moment of like, oh, he looks familiar, and I just kind of wanted to stay and be a little close. I like I said today I'm not feeling so desperate or crazy. I'm feeling a little bit more energetic, which is why I'm out and actually walked around by the lake and everything today. I just have the last couple of days like I said were really rough and I can't even really interact with people during those times. And then I do and I don't like the way that I I don't like the things that I was going to say the things that I say, but I don't like the way that people react to the things that I say. Like that I'm a victim and I'm just playing into victimhood. Like I've never had anybody my whole life actually listen to me. Um, which is why I still keep saying the same things. I want to be heard. But 
even in therapy, I really find that a lot of people have a really hard time just hearing me without wanting to fix it or saying that I have to get out of my victimhood. But um, I was talking about the fact that I um, walked by that gentleman and he looked familiar to me and I had that moment of like, okay, well maybe this is someone or something that maybe I could just be open to. Like, oh, maybe I could say hi to this person or nice music or something like that. So I actually walked past him and got in my car and backed my car back around so I was a lot closer to where he was and pulled my chair out of the back of the car and set it up on the lawn near him and it was just a few more minutes that um before he got up and walked away from playing his guitar and that whole time I kind of had this series of like oh maybe I should pull my phone out maybe I should record the sounds that, you know, of, of him playing. And as he walked by, I was kind of looking at him, but not looking at him, afraid he would look at me, afraid he wouldn't look at me, afraid of how he, how he would react or have to deal with, you know, making eye contact and, you know, or like, is it going to be awkward? Is it going to be, is it going to make things worse? Like, I just... I just don't want to do it. So, of course, I ended up none of those things until, like, after he's just far enough away. And I kind of went, you know, that's all right. You know, it is what it is. And I even actually got back in my car after that and decided to drive out of the park thinking, oh, maybe I'll drive by and maybe I could still roll down my window and say, oh, hey, nice music. Which, there are times when I can totally be that person, that I am that person. But I can't be that person all the time. And unless I feel completely safe I don't know how to be around people long term that's why I can't handle going to work it's why I'm nervous about starting any relationship it's been hard enough just to not thinking that I'm ruining my children's lives by by being their mother. But it by far is the one uh, what was it the other day? Somebody posted on Facebook something about the husband's uh, man saying to his friend like, oh that's nice of you to help your wife and he said you know, that's ridiculous that I'm not helping my wife. It's just as much my job as it is hers because I'm her partner. And that's it. And I can see how it might have been difficult for other people to be my partner when I was younger. because I really thought that by doing everything right I was somehow safeguarding myself what a strange mix of you know letting go and holding on that all seems kind of mixed up in the same like Al-Anon stuff that seems to come up every time again that I sit through any of this for too long you know this like oh you know you have to let go well that's fine to let go but like 
what do you, when you're saying, oh, just let go, like, what do you let go of and what do you hold on to? You know, again, this whole thing, like, about not talking or, you know, um, you know, just being quiet never seems to be followed up by, you know, when is it time to speak? Because this whole notion of, you know, being quiet and and not speaking is the same as, you know, don't speak until you're spoken to. And, um, you know, you don't have a right to tell people what horrible things are happening to you because they don't want to hear it. And you're just a downer all the time. And you've got to learn how to say nice things for people to want to be around you. And I would love to have a good story. I've created a million fantasies in my own mind. And I feel guilty every day for not having published yet. How am I supposed to tell people things are okay when they're not? How am I supposed to build a good life when I don't have When I don't have not only a foundation to build on, but I physically, mentally, emotionally, financially have to do the work myself. And there's nobody ever there to pick me up when I fall. There's just people who blame Who blame me more? Like so many wrong things are said. <laughs> 